Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Inside Groove, another episode, another uh, week of super modified conversation. And we've got a pretty busy show lined up for this week for you. We've got um, a couple of races to talk about, actually a few different races to talk about. We've had two weeks of racing at the Oswego Speedway. We just had the Midwest Super Modified Series opener at Lorraine, and we've got winter views uh, actually, the entire podium from <laughs> Lorraine. We've got audio, uh, just short interviews with each of them, courtesy of uh, Kevin Sears and the folks from uh, Midwest Super Modified Series. So we appreciate that. So we'll have those for you a little later on in the show. And we've got a very special featured guest that we're going to be talking to shortly as well, um, kind of continuing on the tribute to Ed Carista, or tribute to Sam Carista. Uh, show theme that we uh, did a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have Ed Carista on the show. Ed's going to talk to us about uh, his dad's career, his own career, just kind of help us relive some uh, cool memories of Slam and Sammy and uh, Ed as well uh, in his career. So uh, that's coming up on the program. So a lot to come here as we unpack this week's uh, Inside Groove And we'll get to all that, starting with the interview with Ed Carista. We're going to lead off with that uh, this week, and then we'll uh, get to Midwest Super Modified Series, and then we'll uh, kind of wrap up the first couple of weeks at Oswego together as well and uh, put that into a bow before uh, so we get ready for uh, Spring Classic at uh, the Speedway. So all of that is... Ahead, when we come back, we're going to hear from Ed Carista, our featured interview. We're going to lead right off with that and uh, excited about that. Hope you are too. So we'll be back with uh, Ed Carista when Inside Groove returns in just a moment. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove, a very special uh, opportunity that we have today on this show to talk about uh, Sam Carista in a much more personal way. Uh, We welcome to the program Sam's son, Ed Carista. Many of you will remember Ed uh, for his own super modified career that he had uh, back in the 1970s. So, uh, Ed, welcome to the Inside Groove podcast. Podcast. Happy to have you on the show. Uh, and again, our prayers and, and condolences on uh, uh, your dad's passing. Uh, Want to talk about what what is your very first memory of your dad and the Oswego Speedway? Well, what happened? We, he was on our flathead at Fulton on a Sunday at a 
Brown Watcher Brown race, and he ran. He started 32nd against all the big block modifieds and stuff. He was running 16th when the motor blew in it. Oh wow! And he set up between three and four, and one of the cars come in and got in the oil. And Dad was unbuckled, ready to get out of the car, because back then he just got out of the car and went up on top of the wall. And uh, the guy just couldn't stop and hit the car square, and Dad got through out of the car and landed on the track. Wow. He went to the hospital, and he was supposed to be under 24-hour surveillance for concussion and stuff. Okay. The next morning... Was the first anybody come in to check on him? He told him, he says, I'm out of here. And he come home. That Wednesday, Bill Marsh called him and asked him if he wanted to drive his Supers. And that's how we started in the Supers. Oh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of ironic that uh, a, a pretty bad wreck, it sounds like, uh, kind of helped him or became sort of the bridge to a brand new direction for him. At Oswego, yeah. what, were you, again, I lose track of how old everybody is. Were you, were you able to be at, were you old enough to be at Oswego with him when he first went? Yep. Tell me a little bit about I, what that was like well, for you let's guys. let's put it this way. I was big for my size, my age. <laughs> okay. At 12 years old, I was at the pits at Burton with him. Oh, there you go. Okay. And working on our car and stuff, and. At 14, I was warming the flathead up once in a while. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that does pay to be big for your age in some ways, I guess, yeah. right? I, I started working on his cars when I was eight, so. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I'll be 70 this year, so I've been at it a while. Good grief. Okay. Uh, what was, uh, take me back, what was it like the first time you and your dad went to Oswego? What What was your first thought about, uh, you know, the track? I mean, I'm sure it was quite a big racetrack from what you're used, you were used to at Burden. Yeah. No, it was, it was a pleasant surprise to see the cars because they're open wheel then, you know. Yeah. And that's the first time... I see one at that age, and it really impressed me. Uh, talk about the early years with your dad and with Bill, um, because when I first started going in 73, he uh, he was still driving the, the Dummigan car that he had bought, the uh, Purple People Eater, as they used to call it, and then he transitioned over to the 37 car in 74, which I know uh, at the time, I think was, I don't know if Bill was still involved or if it was just John Corb at that point, but um, I think that that's the same group that he started with at Oswego uh, a number of years before, right? Do you remember what year that would have been? He started with Bill while John bought the car from Bill. Okay. And we worked on it all the while, and Dad was still driving it when he was driving for Bill. Okay. So and uh, then when John took it over, Dad still drove for John. I got you. Okay, so would it have been late sixties when he came to a swiggle then, or was it uh, maybe early in the nineteen seventies? It was late sixties. Okay, all right. How did he do in his early years? What uh, What do you remember about those first few years? Pretty good. He was. He done pretty good with it. He always seemed to enjoy racing in Oswego. As we got into the 70s and the Supers got a little more sophisticated, uh, 
He ended up going, I know he drove for the Austin brothers for a little bit, I think, right? Uh, What are some of the other uh, car owners that you remember him racing for in those early years? Well, he drove for Austin brothers, and then he drove Hermes Grass Car a few times. And he drove uh, a car for an old Indy car out of Ohio for John Bozio. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yep. He drove that a couple times. He he drove and then a... we bought then we bought the Dominican car off Corky Stockham. Oh, okay, then that he was started running okay. his own. That was Corky Stockham's uh, old car. I got gotcha. you. Right. Okay. We bought it from Corky. I got gotcha. you. And uh I think Sam had some pretty good runs in that car as I remember it. Yeah. Yep. What do you remember about the racing back in that time? I mean, is there uh, are there some guys that really helped you guys out? Were there some guys that you kind of you guys became close to? I mean, talk a little bit about the atmosphere and uh, and the environment. Well, every, everybody back then, we all worked pretty much. If you asked them something, they'd help you out. It you was know. it was very so much like a family. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Um, it, it, what uh, what made him decide to make the switch from the Dummigan car back to the or or from that car to the thirty seven car for seventy four? He just talked with John and he started driving it again. It's kind of a a, a reuniting of of yes. that of that pair and again he had a couple of top fives i think with it and uh certainly had some several top 10 runs he ran pretty good with that car for a year or two yeah yep well then in 70 at the end of 75 we decided to build a roadster just like the 37 the only difference we done that's back when height had his four-wheel drive yeah and we decided we were we we're going to make our front engine four-wheel drive. Oh, wow. Was that so car? Bill, we had Bill Marsh was going to build a transfer case for us. And we made up an axle. We used the front steering knuckles off a of Ford four-wheel drive pickup. Made the straight axle so we could get it all to handle pretty decent. And then Bill was going to build a transfer case. So we could put it in, and then we were just going to take and run a closed axle setup in it and put the quick change up front, along with the one in the back. But then when Jimmy Champagne built that rear engine car, and when Conium drove it in the Classic, went a lap down and come back and was leading before he had to pull out because an oil line broke. Yeah. They outlawed the four-wheel drives because they knew that's what he was going to do with it. Wow. Yeah, they had outlawed the four-wheelers back in uh, 19, at the end of 76. That got that car got banned. Yep. Um, and yep. Just about time we were getting ready to have Bill make our transfer case. Okay, so you never actually did run. I was going to say, because I don't remember that, that car being a four-wheel drive, so you never got to run it as a four-wheel because they banned them before you could. Right. Oh, okay. Um, so now that's why the front end of our the our car 
was that much higher than what the 37 was because it was built for having the quick change up front. Boy, that that explains a lot because I remember seeing somewhere or reading somewhere that that car was supposed to be a copy of the 37. And when you looked at the profile on the two cars, they were essentially very similar from the roll cage back. And then from the front end, I, it did look a little bit higher and a little bit different to me. And I always wondered why that was. And that makes perfect sense now. That's uh, it, it's all. I almost wish that uh, you could have made that work to see what would have happened in terms of how well, that car would have ran. Well, that's what we wanted to because talk with Bill Height. He said, by rights, you should never spin a four-wheel drive car out. Because if it starts to spin, you jump on the power because your front end's geared a little bit faster than the rear end because it's all it's got to be all the time pulling. Yeah. You can't push it. That's, that's amazing. So the front end's geared a little faster, so it's pulling all the time. You start to lose it, you just get on the power harder, and it should pull itself straight. Sure, yeah. Well, Freddie, uh, I don't think I ever saw Freddie spin it. I saw him hit the wall with it a couple times when something broke, but I don't think I ever saw him spin it. Uh, no. That's, uh, wow. I don't think many people probably knew that that car was going to be a four-wheel drive car, the last uh, car that your dad built, the last Super. I don't think many people probably knew that. Now, you had started your career uh, actually in the old Dummigan car while your dad was racing the 37. Um, right. What uh, what made you decide that you wanted to start racing at Oswego? Just from being with Dad all the time, since eight years old, working on his cars all the time, and then playing with the flathead, and we had the big black dirt coupe for a while, along with when we were running the Dummigan car with the small block in it. And then when the small block wouldn't do it, we just parked the dirt car and put the big block in the super. Oh, okay. I got you. All right. So, so you got a chance to race. Talk about your time as a as a racer a little bit. Uh, are you, did did you enjoy? I mean, you you obviously drove because you also drove the last car after your dad retired. You, uh, I say retired, uh, but really your dad never retired. Uh, we'll get no. to, we'll get to that in a minute. But you, how did how did you find that you enjoyed racing the the car once you started? I like it. To me, it was fun. Yeah. You know, it was just, and Dad always told me, he says, if you can't be in that car, like you're sitting in a reclining chair watching TV, you don't belong in it. Interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. He says, if you ain't comfortable in the car, don't get in it because you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. Yeah. Well, that's a very good point. I always thought your dad was a really good racer and, and just, uh, you know, again, it's it, a lot of there were so many drivers in that era that I thought, well, gosh, if you gave them the right equipment, they would go out and win with with the thing. And um, I, I felt like your dad was in that category, especially after I watched him in the 37 for a while and, and the runs that he would have with that car. Uh, and he was such a nice guy, too. And and uh, when I would come over to get his autograph, I and mean, I was just a kid, you know, six, seven, eight years yeah. old. And um, he always treated me just uh, just very well. And, and, and really, uh, I think he enjoyed the attention of the fans. Uh, and so now, you, when you built the last car, your dad drove it for a little bit, and then you started driving it. What 
What was kind of behind your dad getting out of it so you could get in it? He just thought it was getting too expensive. So he decided he was going to get out and let me run it. So, so that's you, what happened. I, I started running it, and then I got married at the end of 82. We got done racing, and I, it got to the point my family came first. Well, that's uh, that's the right priority for sure. No doubt about you know? that. Yeah. Now... You say you got done racing, but you really never got done racing, at least as a family, because the next thing we all knew um, in the four-cylinder class at Brewerton was Sammy Carista, and then there became several Caristas. Um, yep. Talk a little bit about how all that, because I feel like your dad's career and even your career, because I think you raced the fours, too, for a little bit, at least, didn't you? For a little while. Yeah. So it's almost but, uh, like the career came full cycle. You went from dirt to pavement back to dirt. Yeah. And uh, what happened, my sister's husband had that four-cylinder Enduro, and he didn't like to drive Fulton. He tried to talk Dad into running it because Dad liked to run Fulton all the time anyway. Right. Dad says, nah, I, said, I don't really want to get back into it. Well, then he sent my sister down, and she talked Dad into getting back into it. <laughs> well, then he run it for three or four years, but the last couple of years, we ended up building seven new cars because he's winning all the time, so they were taking them out. <laughs> Finally, I told him, I said, Dad, if we're going to keep doing this, my brother-in-law had a four-cylinder super stock that was the 89 Mustang. Okay. I said, buy Doug's car and go run with some kids that are supposed to know what they're doing. And we did, and he kept on doing it. That's crazy. And, and, and he he kept on racing uh, right up until when? When did he stop? Well, he he stopped racing when he was... 88, and the only reason he stopped is because he had to go through radiation for prostate cancer. Oh. And we were over to Fulton when he'd taken his treatments. He had to go through 45 treatments. Oh. He went five days a week for nine weeks, and I'd, I'd take him. And everybody, we knew four people in their 60s, and he was in his 80s. Oh, wow. And they kept telling him. Sam, it's going to knock the shit out of you. You know, it's going to take all your strength away from you. Well, we're out of Fulton one night. He's running fourth, getting ready to go for third, and all of a sudden the car started going backwards. I said, what's wrong with that thing now? <laughs> well, he come in, and I had to, we, got, we had the one-ton flatbed that we hauled the car on. Yeah. We raised the bed up put the ramp, with the ramps on it, and then... I took the cable and pulled it up on. Well, I had the ramps there, but the bed wasn't raised up. He was halfway up the ramp before I got the bed. I said, where are you going? I didn't raise the truck up yet. He says, don't go nowhere. He says, I had all I could do to put the brake on to stop here. Wow. It just hit him that fast. Wow. So then we put his, he quit running it, so we put his great-granddaughter in it. 
and she run it for a while, and then I had my nephew, his grandson, drive it, and he hit the trial stuck on him there two years ago at the end of the year, and he hit the tires, and I didn't bother putting it back together. I could have had it back together in three days, but with only two races left, I said to hell with it and let it set. So this year, 2nd of January, I'm down at his house. He says, I'm ready to go. He says, I want my old car back together because I, I built him that new car. Yeah. He didn't like it. Oh. Because the old car that he was driving, I built that new, me and him, and it my brother had an 86 Monte Carlo NASCAR late model he ran down in Langley, Virginia, because Glenn lives down in Virginia, my youngest brother. Oh, okay. And uh, he totaled the front clip on it. Well, when he found out I was going to build a new car, he said, I'll bring that Mustang up, Ed, or that Monte Carlo up. He says, you might have to split the cage in half and narrow it to fit in the Mustang. He says, and you'll have a cage already built. So he brings the car up. I took the car, the roof off the Mustang. I cut the quarter panel out, the rear deck panel, between the two rear quarters. And I measured everything up. I cut the two side rails and the bottom rail off, left his cage all welded right to the top of the frame. And that sat right down inside the Mustang on top of the rocker panels where I was going to have to weld it anyway. And I welded it all together. Well, I had, when I put the doors, went to put the doors back on, I had to move them out five and a half inches on each side because the bars bowed out and back in on the main bars going up to the halo. Oh, wow. So he had a lot more room to get in and out of that. Well, after we ran that for, we ran it four years, and I bought two rolling chassis out of Pennsylvania. They had the regular compact cage in them, two more 89 Mustangs. I took the lawyer one of the two and went through it, and I put, re-strengthened it and put bars in where they we thought they should be for safety and stuff. Right. And But it was five inches narrower on each side, and he didn't bend like he used to, so he, he didn't like the car. <laughs> it was too hard for him to get in and out, so I put his old car back together. So let me understand this then, because I think that you have just um, you're you're going to make some of our uh, brand loyalist uh, customers uh, a, a little bit surprised here. You actually took part of a Chevy Monte Carlo and put it into a Ford Mustang. Is that correct? Yep. So you basically built a Chord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's blasphemy of some kind. I'm not. That's like automotive blasphemy doing that uh, to some people. So, uh, but no, that's uh, that's a funny story, and it just goes to show that the car doesn't know what it is. So, no. you know, you can make. But, uh, <laughs> well, the only bar I took out of Glenn's Monte Carlo was I took the petty bar out. Okay. Because Dad didn't like it. Okay. It was in the way. Okay. So. That's funny. But that car, the roll cage in the old car is all inch and three quarter, 095. And it's a NASCAR 
it'll pass NASCAR specs except for the patty bar. Okay. That. So when I put the new car together, I went through and put all the bars in that that was like in the NASCAR cage, and everybody thinks it's a tank, but it only weighs twenty four hundred pounds. Okay. And I got to weigh twenty three fifty anyway because of the size of the motor. You got to be a pound per cc, and. Uh, but what they don't realize, from building the supers and stuff, it's all in the bridge work where your strength comes from. Oh, okay. You know? Interesting. It's amazing what you can do with, uh, with, with cars if you know what you're doing. And, you know, again, safety for me has always been huge. And, I, and I'm fortunate to know some of the folks who have really uh, been behind a lot of the like seatbelt uh, improvements and and some of the other types of things in the industry, and it's just uh, it's amazing how far we've come. But it, but when you know what you're doing when putting a car together, it's just amazing how you can make things fit and kind of work together with uh, you know parts that again the idea of taking a you know a Chevy cage or whatever and putting it into a Ford. I mean that's not something people think about every day. But again, the car doesn't know what it is. It's just no. You know, it's it's it no different than when we built the supers. You started out with a pile of tubing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. And those were back. You know, when you think about the days that you guys are running supers, everybody built their own. Well, most people anyway built their own stuff. I mean, it was. There was so much uh, kind of uniqueness in the in the division at that time, and you know just the different shapes of the cars and and the bodies. Yeah, a lot and, of the guys you know. were running the old Indy cars, and yeah, you know, and they're home building them close to them. Yeah, you know, is there a memory from uh, your dad's days in the supers? Is there a particular memory that stands out in your mind about? You know, gosh, I, re- I that's one of my favorite all-time races my dad ran. We ran a 75-lap championship there. He ran when he was driving for John. Yep. He won the heat. He won the semi. He led that feature for 73 laps. Champagne never passed him until lap 74. Wow. And dad ended up third. Wow. That may, would that would that have been yeah, I guess because his tires went the front tires went and it was pushing and he didn't push it as hard as he was pushing it to try to stay up there because he didn't want to hurt himself or hurt Jimmy or whoever was trying to go by him. Yeah, wow. So that would have been may, what maybe in seventy four, seventy five. No, that was uh, seventy six, I think. Oh wow. Okay, 76, yeah. And that would have been, that. the 37 was kind of, uh, I mean, it, it it was that that group after your dad got out of it, uh, you know, I mean, it had, uh, I mean, Ronnie Graves drove it one night, Jimmy Muldoon drove it after that, and then, of course, yeah. uh, you know, Joe Hawksby bought it, I think, and then Pat Murphy, and I forget. But um, that, that was kind of toward the end of that car's, you know, Life as a a really competitive car, and your dad. Uh, I don't remember that, but uh, that's awesome. Um, you know that, and and again, it it kind of em- is emblematic of. I think we all knew that your dad could drive. It was just a matter of whether the car was right. And uh, but imagine being that close. That's uh, 
you know, that's your dad had a really, I, I think, a fun career. And I mean, gosh, who's still racing at '88? That's incredible. Uh, well, that that's the fun part. When we started with the toward the end there, all them young kids here there racing against an old man, they're going to push them around. Yeah. You know, and finally I told Dad, I said, Dad, you let these guys keep beating on this car, we're parking it. I ain't working on it no more. I says, this is BS. I says, they're doing it because you let them get away with it. I says, you go back old school like we used to do. They want to run clean, we run clean. They want to run dirty, educate them. As is the first time, do it the polite way. The second time, the car don't come back. And once you educated a couple of them, <laughs> they come over and ask them why he done it. And he told them, he says, you better go tell your buddies, I'm going back old school. You guys want to play clean, we play clean. You want to play dirty? He says, I'll show you what dirty is. <laughs> he says, you kids want to remember one thing. He says, I forgot more than you've ever learned. There you go. Respect you your know? elders. Respect your elders. That's uh, right. And they a, did. That's great. That's awesome. What are what are some uh, some of your memories of Sam as a dad, as a as a man? Uh, you know, aside maybe from from racing. I know so much of your life was wrapped around that. But can you can you talk a little bit about the man that your dad was? Yeah, he was. We were all the time working on something, and we always went hunting together and everything. So very much family oriented. It sounds like. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, in the four cylinders, he was running against my brother Billy until he, well, he passed away from cancer a couple, three years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. And he raced against two of his grandsons. Then he raced against his great granddaughter and great grandson. My goodness. How so. incredible is that? How many, how many drivers can say that? That's, that's incredible. To be able to do that. And Dad enjoyed it because he was all time beating them there trying to beat him, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's family, but it's still competition, right? Right. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, well, you know, again, we, uh, we, we loved your dad. We really uh, – we really – I really enjoy watching your dad race and watching you race as well. And, you know, it's, um, you, you, you realize, of course, uh, as a lot of us do that, you know, the guys who are winning all the time, they get the publicity because they were winning, but, uh, you know, everybody else in the field were, was working just as hard and still does work just as hard as the guys who win. And your dad was, you know, my, my definition of a winner goes beyond the, the, the results. And, you know, I feel like your dad was a winner on and off the track and just a, a great man. And, again, what your family ha- has done in the sport as a family for decades, um, in, in the numbers, you know, when you consider how many of you were involved, especially, you know, obviously as we got back to the back to Burton in the four-cylinder days, um, it's incredible, and I don't know too many other families uh, who can say that they've had that degree or that depth of involvement um, in in a in a racing region. It's it's pretty incredible when I think about it. Yeah, well, it's like even with the four owners, if somebody 
was having a problem, they come and ask Dad, out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them guys get their cars to handle better. And some of the guys that are winning out there, well, what the hell are you helping as far as dances doing what it's very afraid of competition? Yeah, exactly. You know. He says, if their car is handling, he says, I can go buy them a lot easier because I know where they're going to be. <laughs> well, there you go. Never thought and about that's that. What, that's what we did with the all the time we run from the time we started. It's funny Somebody because needed help, we helped them. I, I saw that, and, I, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen today at Oswego because I'm sure it does, but I saw that so much back in the old days, even at Oswego, you know, Jimmy always used to help everybody out when they asked him and oh, yeah. take out other people's cars or whatever. You know, I know Nolan would and Gary Albritton, I know, was, was always, I, I used to kind of watch him and he'd always be with, you know, some other younger driver or whatever. Somebody asked those guys for help and I, I'm sure, you know, most of the drivers back then did that. It was kind of one big family. And after the races, oh, yeah. you know, the grandstand family came over to visit the uh, competition family, and you'd get autographs, and it was just a great time. Yeah. Those were great days. And yeah, Dad talk, enjoyed talking to everybody. Yeah. yeah. I he, mean, he, he says you treat people like you want to be treated. Amen. That's exactly right. You know? Yep. And your mom was involved. So, I remember your mom being involved back in the days when uh, you did hand scoring. I think she used to score, didn't she, for your dad a lot or you? Yeah. Yeah. So always been a real family affair for the Carista oh, family. Yeah. You know, Central New York yep, racing. Uh, dad first got his own car. He bought it, a flathead coupe back in 1959 because he was driving for other people and he decided he wanted his own, and we bought, he bought the car, and that's when I started working on it, and we took it all apart, went through it, changed a few things on it, and went out and run. Wow. You know? So, and the number was the number that happened to be open at the time, the 30. Okay. But that was also the year Dad was born. Oh, wow. Okay. And the purple color was my favorite color, so... That's awesome. Little extra, uh, little extra story behind that that number. Then it wasn't just random. Um, there was a little bit of significance to it. Um, yep. And, and yeah, the purple was always. I used to love it. I mean, the, you know. And again, I I don't know if it was Jack or Roy that first named it the Purple People Eater, but um, you know, Jack Burgess gave him the name Slam and Sam. Yeah, Slam and Sammy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Those. Because, uh... Back we were running the flatheads and stuff, they had mirrors in the cars. And when they started mirror driving, Dad, then he'd give them a little education. <laughs> he, I love he, how you say that, a little he'd education. He'd give them a little bump, get them out of the way, and then after the race is over, he'd go over and tell them why he'd done it. Okay. Well, you know? that's that's interesting. And so that's, it was that's an education. That's when Jack gave them the name Slam and Sam. That's funny. You just, I mean, sometimes it, you, you just kind of, I've been announcing a long time and you make up nicknames because they do rhyme, you know, flying yeah. Ryan, that kind of thing. Um, but there actually was something to that. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Wow. Well, it was a, certainly, uh, I mean, again, Central New York racing has been blessed for, for decades uh, by the Carista family to have them be a part of it in all of the, that you've contributed to it and uh, you know, the, the, the good times that you brought as a family 
to so yeah. many of us over the years as well, fans. I still enjoy doing it. I can't drive or nothing because I got in an accident in 2002. I got rendered on 81. Oh. I got a disc in my neck herniated, pushed on my spinal cord, and uh. cast my upper body strength away, and I got two ruptures in my lower back. Ow. So I got to be real careful what I do. But yeah. I still monkey with cars. I need help. I just get a cousin or one of my nephews or somebody, and they give me a hand for what I need help with. And right now, my wife's cousin's stepson is Brian Murphy. Okay. So I've been with Brian and Harry working on their sport. They're modified, so. <laughs> Besides monkeying with my cars, you know. Wow. So you're still involved pretty heavily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, like I said, I have grew up with it. Goodness you gracious. Know. Yeah. Man, it, once it gets in the blood, it uh, it's hard to get it out, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well. I still do what I can do. I'm limited now, but well, I got I, a lot of tricks up my sleeve that I learned from Dad, so. Oh, I bet. And I bet a lot of them still work today, too. Uh, yep. You know, basic principles uh, never seem to change in the sport. Uh, no matter how much the cars change and the technology changes, the basics still seem to yeah, be the basics. I read a lot because I, uh, I used to get the circle track, but yeah. they've gone out of business. But yep. I still get the Speedway magazine. Speedway Illustrated, yeah. Yeah. Yep, and I, uh, I read every article they put in there and the stuff I can use. I incorporating our cars but a lot of when i set my cars up it's half of it's old school and it still works that's awesome that's awesome well man when we build our cars we pre-wedged them oh tell me about that well you just before you even start putting your okay any of your doing any welding on it or anything, you strip it down, you pre-wedge the frame to where you want it, and then you weld your cage and everything in. Now the car is solid to where you want it, and then you just got to tweak it. That's amazing. So... That's it. That, I wonder how many other people even know about that. I mean, I've never heard about that that approach. Yeah. Wow. Plus, I everybody when they scale their car, they scale them with the driver in it. I don't. Why not? Because when I scale the car, I don't want the driver in it. Because that way, if something happens, and I got somebody driving the car. And I can't get them there when I need them. I can put the car on the scales and know right where it's got to be. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. You know? That makes sense. Wow. And I got I got books, tablets that we had, the composition tablets. Yeah. The little black checkered ones there. Yeah. They had for school. I got three or four of them. With everything we've done on all our cars. Oh wow, boy! That and I, what tracks we ran, what it was like, and what I done. So I got now. 
I set my cars up right in the garage before I even go to the track. Then all I got to do is play with my air pressures. That's awesome. Now, how far back does do those notebooks go? Do you have them going all the way back to the days in the Super or no? Yeah, I got it all the way back to the, uh, the first coupe we had. was. Uh, oh, my gosh. 1933 Ford three-window coupe flathead. Wow. That's incredible. That is a that would be a treasure trove of cool information for somebody to to be able to just sit and go through who um understands the engineering side better than I do who you know would wonder well what was it like back in those old days and what kind of setups did they run gosh how how incredible is that that you've saved all that stuff from so far yeah. back Almost yeah, 50 that's, years. That's my private collection that don't go nowhere. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, that's not, incredible. Not even my nephews or none of them get them, so. That's incredible. Um, wow. Well, gosh, I mean, it's so awesome that you're still involved, Ed, and that you're able to still be involved and your family's able to be involved, and it's something that you all still find joy in and find um entertainment from and want to do as a family and um man god bless you all and and uh certainly again thank you to your whole family for all of the work and all of the effort and all of the money and the blood sweat and tears for almost 50 years and of course starting it all with your dad um you know to uh to give us so much enjoyment as race fans well we've enjoyed it so we, That's why I still do it. Well, we uh, we wish you all of the best uh, in the future here, and uh, wish you good health. And uh, again, uh, you know we're we're uh, we're sorry about uh, the loss of your dad, and we. Well, we, he's happy now. He's back with my. There you go. Well, um, we uh, we will keep his memory alive through this show and uh, just you know ongoing conversations and all of that. Uh, but uh, thank you for taking some time, Ed. We really appreciate it, and we wish you all the best, you and your family, and your uh, racing endeavors this year and going forward. Thank you. That is Ed Carista. We'll be back with more of the Groove right after this. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it, and uh, you have a, a great blessed day, and good luck this season. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math and science person. No problem, and no excuses, because it's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode number 73. And it's time to take a look at what happened in the Midwest Super Modified Series opener at uh, Lorraine County. And it was Trent Stevens taking the win in the number 19, a great win for the Stout family and for um, Trent as well. And by the way, young Sawyer Stout, uh, I'm not sure exactly what you call the division that uh, Sawyer is racing in, but uh, this young man has, I think, won the first two races he's entered 
uh, so far in his career. I think it's a little four-cylinder type car, and uh, man, uh, that's pretty awesome. So the Stout family having a good start to the 2021 season. Of course, uh, um, <clears throat> Rich Stout passed away over the winter, and uh, I know that uh, Steve Stout and Sawyer and the whole family are really excited about uh, Sawyer winning again and Trent Stevens getting the win as well at Lorraine. Bobby Santos in the Jeff West car finished in second. That car is drop-dead gorgeous. The body design, everything about that car is just amazing. And um, Talon Stevens finished in third now. Uh, Kevin Sears was kind enough to uh, put together a bit of a montage for us of the top three. So we did get podium here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit uh, the button here. You're going to hear the three interviews back to back to back. Um, And then we're going to come right out of that and we're going to start to uh, unpack a swig of a little bit uh, and talk about the first two weeks there and uh, all of that. So uh, we'll also talk about the number 73 as well. So uh, here we go with the top three podiums, and then we'll switch gears and talk about the big O. All right, we're here with uh, tonight's feature winner, Trent Stevens. Trent, seemed like once you got out in front, that was pretty much it. Yeah, um, I kind of knew we had a good car. Um Especially at at the warm up, we uh, the first couple laps where thought we had a good car. I could feel we it was going to be pretty good, and um, I just kind of worked my way through the traffic on the way to the front, and uh, kind of got lucky with Mo breaking out. But it's um, kind of looking forward to that battle because I could tell he was running pretty good. So uh, I got to thank the guys a bunch. I mean, we we weren't very good in practice. I mean, actually. If you look at our times, we were towards the bottom. So uh, we made a lot of adjustments and uh, really got the car to come around. So um, it, it was it was a really good car tonight. So with uh, Moraine in the books here for the first race, now we look forward to Kalamazoo. Uh, I don't think that's a track that you've ever raced up there. What is your thoughts on that? Um, yep, never raced there. Uh, I heard it's I heard it's a decent track. It's pretty quick, so uh, I usually like those. I mean, I guess I don't really have a preference anymore. But uh, um, I know these guys have raced there back before I started driving for them, which has been it's been 12 years now. So it's been a long time since Supers have been there. So looking forward to it. Uh, obviously, I'll have to start in the back now. But um, if we got a good car, it don't really matter. All right, Trent. Uh, any uh, sponsors you want to mention? Uh, yeah, we got to thank uh, Ken Ganley, Buick, GMC. Uh, they came on board this year. Can't thank them enough. And, um, I, I mean, I kind of mentioned on the front straightaway, but this one pulled pulled on, on our whole team. You know, we uh, Steve's dad, we lost Steve's dad last year. Um, and this is our first race back. So feels good to win him for that. That's for sure. All right. Well, congratulations, Trent. All right, I'm with Bobby Santos, our second-place finisher tonight. Bobby, that was a good, solid run. Yeah, it was a good run. Uh, you know, we guys worked hard all day to adjust in the car, first time here with this car, and uh, fairly new with it, so I can't complain. We brought it home in one piece. Do you think you might have been able to have some for Trent there towards the end? Uh, no. <laughs> um, they were good. They did a good job. Um, we just looked better than we 
needed to be. Um, but, you know, I think Jeff IBC, uh, uh, Noah, Nevin, Noah, and those guys uh, worked hard, um, gave me a good car, and we'll come back and try again with you guys. Great. Congratulations. Good run. All right, we're here with uh, third place uh, finisher Talon Stevens. Talon, this I know you've been working on this card real hard the last couple weeks. This has got to be really satisfying. Yeah, you know it makes all the hard work worth it. Uh, there were a couple nights out in the garage last week. We just we were we didn't think we were going to make it. We wanted to stop and and we stuck together. A lot of the crew guys came over. We're helping thrashing all week after work. Uh, you know we work at 12-hour days, 13-hour days after work. So. Uh, yeah, to finish up here makes makes the work we did a little bit worth it. Uh, got a lot of room to grow, a lot of lot of good notes to take to get started. So tell us a little bit about that race here tonight. You were, you know, kind of in the middle, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in third. Yeah, you know there were a lot of good cars starting up. You know, starting up front, a lot a lot of good cars in the field. There were there were nine, ten guys that could have won this race. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of rode our time. Some, some good things fell into our lap. You know, we had a couple, uh, you know, with, with Mo breaking out, he, he was fast. Um, but, you know, I think Trent was kind of the class of the field. Um, he, he really, really had a number on us. But, uh, yeah, we worked our way forward. That's all I can ask. I wanted to finish. I wanted to roll it into the trailer. Uh, we did all that, and we ended up on the front stretch. So it, it was a good night. Welcome back. As Inside Groove rolls on here, our uh, final segment for the day, and uh, want to unpack just a little bit uh, the first couple of weeks at the Oswego Speedway. I'm not going to do a, I don't feel the need to do a huge deep dive into the results because you can get those online. Go to oswegospeedway.com or uh, any of the Facebook groups. Uh, they should have, uh, you'll find all of the finishing order and all of that. So I don't want to go into all of that here. Um, but, uh, I do want to talk about, uh, kind of an overview of the first two weeks, because I feel like it was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde start to the season at Oswego, wasn't it? Uh, if you think about it, the first week was rather tame, not a whole lot of, uh, bad stuff happening. Fairly clean week of racing. Dave Schulich Jr. Pretty dominant performance took the, uh, win in the super modifieds and, uh, John Leonard got the win in the 350 supers and uh what a great run for Danny Kapazinski to finally get his first SBS win that young driver well I shouldn't call him young anymore he's getting old he's getting old now uh but Danny uh Danny's uh worked so hard uh his father Mike was a very very close friend of mine and I really enjoyed uh talking with Mike over the years and just spending time with him and and uh getting kind of to understand what he was all about. Um, and gosh, what a gifted artist he was to be able to um, design and build the cars and paint them and whatever. And Danny obviously grew up in racing and uh, kind of a, a chip off the old block when it comes to uh, having a, a great skill set. Justin, his wasn't necessarily or isn't necessarily in car building or you know, our artistry, uh, but boy, could he drive a car and, uh, you know, it's been a long road for Danny K to get to victory lane and happy to see him finally get there. Uh, really strong start to the year for he and the 23 team, um, didn't fare real well the other night. We'll get to that in a moment, but, uh, I just, I couldn't have been happier than to have seen Danny get that first win. That was awesome. Uh, congratulations, Danny K. And um, uh, then week two, 
yesterday or Saturday, as it were. Um, gosh, what a finish in the super modified race. Uh, it just goes to show that it, it, what, that old uh, Yogi Berra thing is actually true, isn't it? It's never over till it's over. Uh, coming out of turn four, Tyler Thompson had the win. It was his. Max McLaughlin wasn't even close. And then all of a sudden, Tyler's tank runs dry or something happened to the car. I believe he ran out of fuel. And Max just comes up the outside and half a car length. He beats Tyler to the line. I mean, that um, that was as reminiscent of of what we saw in the classic in 1983 as I've ever seen after I thought about it a while. But even that wasn't coming to the checkered. All the action in 83 happened in turns one and two on uh, after they had taken the white. So they still had the rest of the track. Um, this was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And I, I really feel bad for Tyler. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly the hardest way possible to lose a race, but at the same time, um, if you're going to lose, you would rather have a teammate win, I would guess. Uh, and, uh, definitely excited for Max. Again, this is a kid who doesn't just show up with a helmet and a lot of money and buy rides. He shows up, works on his stuff, really has put his heart and soul into developing his career absolutely loves short track racing and couldn't wait he and i had talked for a number of years about him getting into a super and so this was kind of his last uh uncharted territory of the stuff that his dad had done other than obviously xfinity and i'm sure max will get there at some point to the nascar xfinity series uh i believe he will but um Man, what a what a start to the season he's had. Had some issues opening day, um, but came right back really fast, won his heat, and ended up winning the feature. A great run for the crazy eight uh, of, of Max McLaughlin to get the checkered flag. And how about Nick Kenny? Man, oh, man. Twice he's run Super Modifieds. Twice. And uh, gets the win in the 350 Super Race uh, in his second time in the car under racing conditions. Great run for him in that event. Uh, and what a finish between Brad Brian Haynes in the SBS race. That was unquestionably the best race of the year so far. Those two brothers just went at it. It was great to watch. Um, man, I just, I, I love seeing seeing that. It was clean. Uh, and it, it was just good, hard racing between those two. It was a lot of fun to watch. I, I congratulate both of them because to me, they both won. It's just one of them got to go to victory lane. The other one, you know, just in second place, but, um, that was a phenomenal event. And, and I, like I said, in my opinion, the best race of the year so far in Oswego, um, really good job by all of those winners. Now let's talk about, um, some, uh, some of those who obviously haven't had such a great start. First of all, oh gosh, uh, I could not be just more uh, gutted for Rich Worth and all of the folks associated with that whole group because um, especially Mike Bruce and Rob Bruce because, you know, I mean, Mike's crash the other night was just awful to watch. It was one of those crashes. You look at it, and your heart stops for a few minutes until you realize he's okay. So it's like, okay, that's number one. Driver's okay. Thank God. Um, 
and then you just focus on the car and you realize that there's really not much of a car left. Uh, man, um, again, you don't want to cast blame or whatever. It's unfortunate that it happened. Um, if you didn't see it, the video footage is online. Uh, he went to the outside, coming down the back straightaway as they were kind of heading into turn three, went to the outside of uh, Kelly Spaulding, and uh, Kelly's car turned right, and it just uh, made contact with Mike's car, shot it straight into the fence, uh, and upside down, uh, wing came off the car. It was just one of those crashes that, that was one of the scariest-looking crashes I've seen at Oswego in a long time. And, um, again, after the after the start that um, those two have had, Mike and Rob both, uh, good to see Rob uh, come out. And I think he managed to get through the SBS race uh, without any issues in the backup car, which was, which was good. Um, you know, just been a real rough start for that bunch. And, um, again, I don't think I need to justify saying I'm gutted. Uh, I think you all know that JNS Paving, which is Rich Worth's company, is uh, one of the sponsors of this show. But that that's not the place I'm coming from here. I would, I would be gutted for him regardless. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, those guys all have worked their tails off on so many cars. Rich, uh, not only... Uh, has invested in this show, but uh, obviously has invested a great deal uh, both in race cars and also in the 350 Super Division as a whole. Um, so, um, again, guys, uh, man, there's just not much, uh, you know, you, you want to say something to lift the spirit, and there just isn't much to say sometimes except that um, I know that good times are coming, better days are coming, uh, I pray that they can find another 350 super somewhere, uh, and, um, make something good happen. I mean, I, I just, uh, it, it's just been a bad start. So, um, much better luck going forward. You guys, uh, I, I hope and pray that, uh, things turn around soon. Um, entire, uh, field of car back half of the field involved in the, uh, first lap crash, in the super modified division the other day. Um, I think uh, Lula Vey either got turned or just got sideways. And gosh, Ryan Locke, who uh, was making his debut at Oswego in the 37 car, you uh, heard him on uh, an episode of this show a couple of weeks back. Ryan, uh, just a terrible crash into the wall in turn three. Um <sighs> Man, again, heavy damage to that car. Um, a number of other cars. Keith Champagne was damaged. Uh, I think Lou was actually involved and damaged. Uh, Mike Barnes was was damaged. And again, that's another team. Just golly, they never got off the uh, the ground the other night. Uh, just problems from the start and right through to the end on that car. Um, gosh, I don't even remember all the cars that were involved, but there were a ton. Um, and, of course, if you look at the small block division, um, there was the hard wreck on the back stretch with Danny Kay um, and a couple of uh, other cars. And uh, I know Danny got quite a bit of damage. I hope they can get that car back together. It was, uh, 
just hard night. Um, really, really hard night. One of the worst nights for accidents I've seen in years at Oswego. All the divisions were affected in one way or another. It just was a terrible, terrible night of racing when it came to uh, crashing equipment. Um, and uh, thank God that we've got two weeks off before spring classic. Uh, man, it's going to be a very expensive two weeks for some of these teams. And uh, so I don't want to put a downer on the night, but uh, it kind of was what it was. And you're going to have those every now and again. You hate it, but... Uh, you know, that we've seen it before. I've been, been going to the races since 1973, and, you know, some nights are diamonds and some nights are stones, and that was a big old giant rock is what that was. Um, and uh, it was tough. So, uh, again, just uh, praying that everyone can get their cars back in shape, thankful that everybody seemed okay. I'm sure there were a few drivers who were sore, uh, on Sunday and probably even still today. I'm recording this on Monday. Um, but uh, what a what a tough night for racing at the Oswego Speedway. Uh, some good crowds to open the season. Um, great to stay have cars back on the track. Great to be back racing. And uh, really excited for Memorial Weekend for Spring Classic. I hate that I'm not going to be able to attend uh, because I've got a conflict uh, announcing a, for a series down here, but I will, um, for sure, without a doubt, I will uh, be watching. So <laughs> look forward to that. Uh, and just, again, praying that everybody can get their cars back and that that's a, a good, safe, clean weekend of racing. Uh, we'll talk more about that. We're going to do a, a show uh, between now and, and then. So uh, hopefully we'll get Cam back. We had trouble hooking up with him this past week. Um, and my my fault, not his. And so hopefully we'll be able to, uh, and I want to try to get uh, at least one or two uh, f- drivers on for that show next week. So we'll kind of lead into uh, the spring classic as it uh, comes a little closer. Uh, as far as... Uh, the classic itself coming up um, again, uh, information is out there. Uh, go and uh, avail yourself of the for all of the starting times and all of that. Uh, we'll go through that all on our next show as well. This is episode 73 and I want to pay a nod here to Don Romage. Don was actually on one of our earlier shows uh and just enjoyed the heck out of interviewing Don. That was so much fun. We sat in my office at WSIC in Statesville and uh, and did a nice interview for that show. Um, so uh, I'm going to start also this week uh, resharing some of the older shows because we've picked up some new folks and um, some new audience here. And so I want to give everybody a chance, if you haven't, listen to some of the earlier shows that we did after we brought the show back a couple of years ago. Going to just uh, probably do it in random order, not really uh, from, you know, kind of going all the way back to the beginning and coming back to current. We'll probably just pick random shows uh, for you and just put them out just to keep content coming here. And again, um, we, I'm in a, a, a position right now where we're, we're going to have a new facility here to work out of in the next uh, few weeks, which is one of the the big projects I've been working on 
Um, I've also got a driver who is uh, actually going to Nashville to make his truck series debut, and that's another project that uh, I've been working on. And um, then our new digital space is coming out uh, in the month of June as well, uh, probably the later part of June. We're targeting the 15th, but but we don't know for sure that we're going to make that, but it's going to be really cool. And uh, can't wait to tell you more about that. Hopefully on our next show here, I'll be able to finally um, we'll be in a position where we're starting the pre-lunch and all of that, so I can tell you. But uh, we, I've just had a ton of stuff that's uh, taken up a lot of my time. All of it, I think, is going to be awesome when it uh, when it hits. And excited about the new platform and what that can do for racing of all types. Um, we really have uh, kind of taken a unique angle on a motorsports uh, media site and expanded it out into a few other things. So um, really looking forward to that. We're going to be doing uh, video content going forward, a lot of cool stuff, thus the new facility. Uh, and um, so a lot to talk about uh, over the next few weeks. But that's that just gives you an idea of all of the uh, major projects I've had going on, and it's just taken me a ton of time to get through them. So show 73, again, a nod to Don Romage. Uh Really excited about the opportunity to talk with him back uh, a while ago, uh, and we'll we'll put that show out again here over the course of uh, this week. Like I said, I'm going to try to get a couple of the uh, the the links uh, out to the some older shows each week, just again to keep more content more frequent. And uh, I know a lot of you like to go back and listen again to the older shows and. A lot of uh, the interviews become new again, you know, when you haven't heard them for a while and uh, really been a, a blessing to have some of the best that ever sat in a Super Modified on these shows. Plus, of course, uh, folks like Dick O'Brien, um, who have been such an amazing part of, of uh, you know, making Super Modified racing what it is. So, um, you know, just been a thrill over the last few years, and I'm excited uh, about what this new facility is going to let us do for all of our shows from the standpoint of being able to go to video um, and then being able to have them on our platform here, I think is going to greatly increase visibility. So we're really excited uh, about going forward. Don Romage and the 73, probably the most well-known of all of those that have carried that number um, I remember John Theodoro from back in the early 70s is a 73, and I don't remember if he was a Canadian or a Midwesterner or where John was from. I was trying to think back, uh, and I, I just remember him at some classics. I think he was probably here other time, too, but it seems like maybe the car was red, uh, I'm trying to remember it in my mind's eye, but uh, I think it was a red 73. And uh, I remember John, and I was stretching. I know, uh, I think it was Tom Jodway that had that number, if I remember right. Uh, if I was thinking, let's see, if he was 73 or 74 in the uh, limited supers years ago. 
Um, and it seems like I remember that he was running as 73 back then in the limiteds. His brother Andy probably popped into that car a time or two. I'm just uh, guessing here. So covering my base, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that maybe Andy also ran that number. Um, but I don't remember too many 73s. That wasn't a, a number that was often used. Um, and so, you know, at least in, in my memory of it, uh, feel free again to add. I'm sure there are probably some folks in the 60s, maybe one or two that had that number that uh, some of you who have been around longer than me uh, and still have uh, completely intact memories uh, can probably come up with. Uh, but uh, Don was the one that, that I think probably put the biggest stamp on that number of all the ones that I can can recall anyway. And, uh, you know, again, Don is the type of individual that super modified racing has has had so much of over the years. Just a very personable guy, worked really hard, uh, good driver, very good car owner. Um, Steve Joya, obviously, uh, running that oh well actually i guess yeah now that i think about that so you can throw a couple of other guys doug didero uh was in that car at one point steve joya um gosh kenny williamson uh i think those might have been it but there were a number of guys who drove for don i remember warren conium warming up the car one night but i don't think he ever actually raced it uh (laughs) But uh, Don had a few drivers after he got out of the seat, had a few drivers that got in the car and uh, had some very good races for him. And again, um, Steve uh, was the last and Steve ended up buying the car from Don. And uh, I think that would have been Steve's last uh, last car. And if it wasn't, it was certainly the last car that he didn't build. If he had another one after that, I'm thinking he built it. Um, but I'm trying to remember even at the end of Steve's career, and I think that uh, that would, may have been the last car he actually drove as the number nine. Uh, there, He he came back uh, and ran for Tim Snyder, subbed for Tim Snyder in a classic. And I think he, he did some racing, I think, uh, with Mike Muldoon at one point, I'm pretty sure. But uh, at any rate, for the 73, I think the last one to race it at Oswego as 73 was actually Steve when he drove for Don, I'm pretty sure. So um, you all can have some fun with that. Uh, and so we're working on, like I said, uh, a pre-classic kind of show uh, for our next show. And uh, I want to thank, uh, again, uh, somebody, and I think it might have been Danny Kay. I'm tr- I don't remember, but I saw online somebody made it a point over this last week or so to thank the photographers. And, you know, there are so many subgroups of people that make racing happen. And at Oswego, you kind of have a strong, uh, you, you have, you can see that very clearly. The photographers, and I don't even want to start naming them because I'll forget somebody and then I'll feel bad. But all of them that have, have given so many Saturday nights over the years and some of them still going obviously. And uh, we've had some new ones kind of creep in over the years um, and uh, slide in and take the place of some of the, uh, the other guys who have uh, gone away and they are just one subgroup 
that really never get a lot of attention. I feel like the push truck drivers, the photographers, the concession workers, um, you know, the program sellers back in the day. Uh, I know we don't have a program anymore. We are going to have a spring classic yearbook, I'm told. And I can't wait to get my hands on one of those. I got to figure out a way. I'll have to uh, call the Speedway Press and see if they can mail me one or something. But I definitely want to get one of those. Um, the, you know, those groups, the ticket takers, you know, there's all these sort of subgroups of people that whether they're getting paid or not, for me, is not the issue. Those are the people that help make a program. I've said for a long time, the first time that I walked into Charlotte Motor Speedway as a, a media to cover the NASCAR race there, it was, it was the 600 weekend. And you can imagine, uh, those of you who've never been to a NASCAR race, but you can imagine the amount of people all doing something at the same time that, you know, that it takes to make all that work. You know, it's, it's like a, you know, a synchronized swimming or synchronized dance or whatever. And, and it's true at any, any event, you've got multiple people doing different things at the exact same time. And if any one of those people fall down on the job, you know, and aren't there, you know, that something about something at that event doesn't happen the way it should. And so, you know, it's just the photographers at Oswego are among that, that they're a fraternity that just do it because they love it. And some of them make money off their photos. Others of them just do it for pure joy. Um, I know that uh, I worked with Rick Nelson, had the pleasure of working with Rick Nelson for a number of years as a co-host on my original Inside Groove and also traveling all over uh, to, to race tracks with Rick and just watched how hard he worked with the photography. And he taught me uh, about uh, 127,000th of what he knows back in the day, enough so I could actually shoot pretty good with uh, a camera and some film and um, and get some of my pictures published in the uh, in the Pell Times. And I think probably there were a couple in Trackside, too, along the way. And, uh, um, you know, that was just really fun for me. I was never, I will never call myself a photographer, but... Um, you know, it was just nice to be able to add that to the things I could do when I had to or if Rick wasn't able to come. I remember him eventually teaching my brother how to do it, and Kevin got really good at it. Kevin was a very good photographer, um, you know, didn't stay with it, uh, which, you know, for the, for the short amount of time that he did it, it was always kind of fun that uh, I could have um, my article with his picture in the Pell Times. That was uh and I know my parents uh, really got a kick out of that as well. So, um, you know, it's just funny where life takes you sometimes. You would have never, you know, neither one of us ever, I don't think, consciously had the dream to do anything that we did in the sport. We just kind of, um, hey, okay, I'll do that, you know, kind of thing. And it, and it just uh, it just happened. Um, and so, uh, again, uh, I agree with Danny or whomever it was that said that, and I should have made a note. I, I think it was Danny, though. Um, but I, I definitely agree in, in saying that, uh, man, the photographers are, are, are all awesome. They're great people. 
Um, and their families are also great people because they allow them to go do that every weekend and, uh, and spend a lot of time, I guess now you don't spend so much time developing photos, but, um, some of them do great things with the photos before we ever see them afterward and editing them and kind of making them look right. And, um, you know, turning them into much more artistic type things. Um, and again, I, I only brought Rick up because, uh, I know how hard that is and how much work goes into it to be good at it um, just through that my firsthand experience with him. But surely, uh, you know, everyone who does it deserves just a huge uh, round of applause. Uh, and so I just wanted to, to, to point that out. But again, to say to some of the other groups as well, the 50-50 sellers work so hard every week. You know, again, they all work to improve the racing and make things more entertaining and more interesting for those of us who are fans. So we should be grateful to them and thankful to them and, uh, and just uh, obviously always wish them well. Um, and that is going to wrap it up for another week of inside groove. Um, gosh, I, I can't believe it's classic time already. It's nice to say it's classic time when it's still only going to be spring. That's uh, usually by the time we get to classic time, we're like, oh, gosh, winter's coming. Um, So we get one that we can say summer's coming, and that's kind of unique. So thank you all for listening. And, of course, thanks to um, Jeff West and uh, Rich Worth and uh, Sean Cathcart, uh, JNS Paving, Indie Performance Composites and Skips Fish Fry uh, slash LeGraff's Pub. Um, all a huge part of the show. And just, again, really excited about some of the things we're working on to uh, kind of expand this show a little bit. We're not taking the audio away, but we're going to, I think we're going to add some cool video things where we can. Um, sometimes the uh, the legends probably aren't going to have the technology to uh to uh, be able to to have us do their part, but uh, we're we're gonna see where we can take this to add some video to it and uh, and have some fun since we're gonna have this uh, nice new facility that we're working on here. So uh, much more in all of that as we go to future shows. Hope that you enjoyed uh, the interview with Ed Kariston. Thank you so much to Ed for uh, his time and generosity to do this. And uh, thanks again to Kevin Sears and the folks in Midwest Supermodified Series for the audio that we got from there. We hope that at some point we can get interviews back from Oswego. If uh, somehow we can make those happen, we um, we would love to do that. Uh, for now, however, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you on the next Inside Groove. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.